This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When I met you in the I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is Welcome to the Equity Mates Summer Series, proudly brought to you by Sharesies. Over 12 episodes, we're deep diving into some of the most exciting, interesting, and well-known companies in Australia and the US. Each episode, we're also joined by an expert to help us unpack the key metrics, the bull case, and the bear case for each company. My name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going? I'm very good, Bryce. Good to be here for this summer series. Yes. Means we're on holidays. So today, we are diving into Nike. And we are lucky enough to be joined by expert Bob Desmond from Claremont Capital, who pitched this stock as his high conviction idea for 2023 at the Sone Hearts and Minds Investment Conference in November 2022. So super stoked to have him on. Uh, the summer series is proudly supported by Sharesies and Ren. Two reasons we love Sharesies. I'll kick off first. Invest with no minimum. You can buy shares or portions of shares on the Sharesies platform from just one cent. And Ren, something that you've been talking about, and that is auto-invest. That's right. It's an easy and approachable platform where you can auto-invest across America, Australia, and New Zealand's market. You can dollar-cost average in. You can set it up. You can do it across individual stocks and ETFs. It's like you, it's almost like a build-your-own-ETF functionality where you put what you want in, allocate your percentages, say how much you want to spend get on with your life. Away you go. Love it. So download the Sharesies app or visit www.sharesies.com.au to learn more. And if you did want to sign up, they do have a promo code that is not exclusive to Equity Mates. It's publicly available and Equity Mates don't get anything in return, but you do get $10 in your account if you sign up. The promo code is GROW. Promotion terms and conditions apply. So Ren, let's kick on. Let's do it. Uh, final disclaimer, we are licensed, but we're not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Neither's Bob when he joins us. <laughs> All information on this show is for education and entertainment purposes only. Any advice is general in nature. Bryce, Nike. Nike. Let's go. I mean, everyone would have heard of Nike. Yes. But it is it is a company that uh, has come across our radar a number of times this year. So we've decided that we're going to have a bit of an exploration of it for the next 20 minutes or so before we get Bob in. But the... Investor relations website caught our attention and this is where we want to start. Nike is a growth company in big all caps letters over a photo of Serena Williams at the top of their investor relations page. Yeah. You got it? It's a growth company. (laughs) Finn. 
Move on. Yeah. I don't know who they're trying to convince, their investors or themselves, but uh, would you think of it as a growth company? I mean, we're going to have a look at some of the numbers in a moment. And uh, in terms of share price, you could argue that it is a growth company, but I wouldn't picture it given the size of it, given the history of it. I don't put it in the bucket of a growth company. Yeah. Well, I mean, any $150 billion company was a growth company at some stage. Yeah. The question is, is it a growth company? Let's answer that, I think, at the end of the episode once we get through it all. Okay. Well, I think where I was trying to go there is I think most people wouldn't think of Nike as a growth company. They would think of it as the world's biggest apparel and sportswear maker that probably grows revenue at between 4 and 6% a year and maybe grows profit at between 5 and 8% a year. Sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. Let's talk about the company and see if that perception's right. All right. Well, you did say it, the world's biggest sportswear and apparel brand. And if you haven't read the uh, biography of Phil Knight, Shoe Dog, Uh, It's a must read in my opinion in terms of business books. Uh, It does go through the full story of Nike, uh, but it was founded in 1964, originally called Blue Ribbon Sports, importing shoes from Japan. That kind of blew up in the early 70s, so they converted it to Nike in 1971. So they are celebrating their 50th anniversary this year. The Um, swoosh was first used by Nike on the 18th of June, 1971. Well, there you go. What the... And, well, that's right, because I think he had sh- anyway. He had the he had the swoosh, still doing the still getting shoes from Japan, as I understand it. And then that contract ended in seventy two. Read and the so book. he took it on. <laughs> anyway, read the book. The Just Do It campaign that they're so well known for kicked off in nineteen eighty eight, and uh, the rest is history. Ren, they are now the world's largest. Yeah, real marketing story with Nike. Uh, there is no finish line. Was one of their early taglines then just do it the nike swoosh one of the most famous designs trademarks yep. logos yeah, yeah, um it's a pretty it's a pretty incredible story shoe dog is up there with the best one of the best business books i'd say mm. you seem to bang on about right of a lifetime nah, shoe dog's better really yeah okay easy Wow, easy. <laughs> wow. Get, you can, you get started investing in Shoe Dog, the, the two big ones. Um, but so, you know, there's there's marketing there with the logo, marketing with the uh, the slogan, but really the Nike story is an athlete story. Yeah, endorsements. Yeah. First kicked off with their major endorsement in 1984 with Michael Jordan. That is what absolutely elevated them because at, at the start of the day they were doing – athletes shoes and they were doing running shoes and all sorts and then the big signing was was Michael Jordan in 1984 that that really kicked things off they had the tiger endorsement in 1996 and also a Rory McIlroy endorsement in 2012 I think to the tune of 250 million dollars why is Rory that valuable I don't know Rory McIlroy 250 million dollars over 10 years tiger only got 100 over 10 years so Rory, really? yeah, Rory. Wait, Tiger got a hundred in his prime, like pre-scandal, or that. Well, Tiger's endorsement kicked off in '96, so I guess inflation adjusted all those ones. It was probably, probably worth a fair bit. But Rory came in 2012 with 250 was he million. Was Rory. it like, yeah, was it like let's get the the next kid sort of thing? Well, this was only ten years ago, so and Rory's been kicking for 15 plus, so. Wow. Yeah. He's absolutely nailed it. I think he's the second highest endorsed player behind Michael Jordan. So, Bryce, I got a quiz question for you. Yeah. Forbes have compiled a list of the world's highest paid athletes. 
100 highest paid athletes. Mm -hmm. How many of them do you think Nike sponsor? (laughs) I'm going to say very close to all 100. 96. You think 96 of the 100. (laughs) What what do you think like Adidas and Puma and stuff are doing? Yeah, good point. Like Lacoste, Uniqlo, like there's other... I I looked at how how many endorsements they have around the world and they've got well over 650, I think, in 140 countries. So good point. Maybe, I don't know, 60? 51. 51. 51 of the 100. Wow, there you go. Now, follow-up question. Do you want to guess who else gets a podium finish? So if Nike's number one with 51 of the top 100 athletes, according to Forbes, who's number two? Uniqlo. (laughs) (laughs) The only reason I say that because they have Federer. Um... It's got to be Adidas. Yeah. Do you want to guess how many they have? Uh, so there's what a remaining 49 left. Good math. I would say 22. 16. Okay. Adidas. And then third. Do you want to guess third? Puma. No. Under Armour. Under Armour. Nailed it. Under Armour. With? Eight. Six. Okay. <laughs> so you can see that the, it tails off. Tails off. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Well, the marketing budget, which we'll touch on uh, a bit later for Nike, dwarfs those of their following companies. So. Now, one other quiz question and then we'll move on. But I think this just really gives you an indication of how big Nike is. Not that most people need an indication. NBA, like shoes is probably where a lot of people think about Nike's dominance these days, Jordan brand, all of that. 442 NBA players. This this number's from 2014, so it's a bit old, but 442 NBA players. Mm-hmm. How many of them do you think wear Nike shoes? Well, I know that in 2015 they, they became the official uniform of the NBA, so in some way Different, or another they all wear Nike. They all wear Nike clothes. clothes. Yeah. How many of the how many wear shoes? 442 NBA players. Wear Nike shoes. Wear Nike shoes. It's It's got to be. Keep in mind that there's like heaps of different shoe brands yeah, with yeah. like, you know. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say 360. Okay, 284, Okay, so 64%. But it's again, pre- st- still pretty solid, at dominant. least half, yeah, yeah, at least yeah. 50%. Well, in 2022, Ren, uh, Nike spent $1.5 billion on endorsements of these players, so significant money wow. going into it. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, let's keep moving. The company today. So about 3% of their total revenue goes to player payments. That's actually not that much. Well, their total marketing budget, I think, is uh, north of $4 billion. Yeah, so about 10%, a bit less than 10% of their revenue. It's actually kind of reasonable when you think about how much coverage they have and what brand presence they have. It works for them. Anyway, well played. The company today, according to Brand Finance, it is the 49th most valuable brand in the world. I would have expected it to be a little bit higher. Same. I would have given it top 10. $32.3 billion is the value of Nike to the company, uh, according to Brand Finance. And uh, Ren... They don't just have Nike. They've got a number of brands underneath it. They acquired Hurley International in 2002, Converse in 2003, and then the Jordan brand, among others, is, uh, is quite extensive. So I call, a brand house. I call House of Brands. House of Brands. <laughs> <laughs> I call bull on this 49th. What were they? 49th? Most 49th, valued. yeah. Number 10 is Verizon. A brand finance? Yeah. V- valued at what? 70 bill. Wow. Like Nike is more valuable than that. I would have, you'd have to say. Uh, Costco is for 40. Like Nike's more valuable than Costco. 
surely. Look, like, not... give me give me some give me some feedback. <laughs> I'm sure you could find a list. <laughs> I have the list. I'm looking. The International Commercial Bank of China is number eight. Okay. But I mean, it's probably big in <laughs> China. It. Huawei number nine. I would say Nike probably more brand value than Huawei. Walmart number five. Like Walmart's pretty big. Walmart's big, but like their brand. Brand's big. Yeah. I'd call. <laughs> anyway, Pri- Price Waterhouse Coopers, <laughs> PwC. Oh no, they're behind Nike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, let's keep going. Mm, let's talk about this for a bit. <laughs> <laughs> no. We all know what the company is today. On some of these summer series episodes, we'll spend a little bit more time breaking down what the company is. But Nike is Nike. The the question for us as investors is where does Nike see its future? What if we were going to invest in Nike today? Why would we be doing it? What's the company going to do with the money it's earning? How does it uh, give itself the growth tag? Yeah, well, <laughs> it just puts it just prints it on its investor relations website. I guess the question is, how does it go from 160 billion to 300 billion? Mm. I mean, it goes back in time 12 months before its share price got cut in half. Yes. But well, not quite cut in half, but. You get the point. Yeah, and Ren, it's been a story that is not unfamiliar, but it's one that is uh, paying, starting to pay dividends for them, and that is their trans- transition from retailers as their main distribution, third-party retailers, to uh, direct-to-consumer. Yes. And this is where, among other things, they are starting to reap the rewards and head from that 160 bill to potentially 300 or whatever it may be. Yes. This is where their growth tag comes. So what do we mean by that? So traditional retail is Nike manufactures the shoes, they sell it into a footlocker in the US, an athlete's foot or a Rebel Sports in Australia, a JD in the UK. Is that? JDs are here as well. Are they? Yeah. Fair enough. (laughs) Um, My Yeah, they, they sell it to a retailer. And that gets sold to a customer. On average, and this isn't relevant to Nike, but on average, a shoe manufacturer makes about 22% gross margin. That's a number that we just found. Rough, rough, 22% gross margin. So you sell shoes for 100 bucks. They Nike makes $22 and then they have to take all of their costs out, pay their staff with that $22. On average, according to Forbes, when a retailer goes or when a manufacturer goes direct to customers, so they cut out the Foot Locker or the Athlete's Foot or the Rebel Sport and they say, just come to the Nike website and buy it online, on average the gross margin is 50%. Mm. So it means that from the $100 shoes, Nike walks away with $50, which then they pay their staff and their marketing budget. And so it's just a lot – it's a more profitable way to sell your stuff essentially. Mm. So Nike are trying to make that transition like every other retailer. The good news for Nike is they've got such strong brand that it's going to be a lot easier for them than a lot of other companies. In the most recent quarter, Nike sold $12.5 billion worth of stuff, $12.7 billion of revenue. $5.1 billion were direct-to-consumer. Well played, Nike. So almost half. Yeah. Well, between a third and a half. That is certainly uh, improving year on year and we will hear a little bit more from from Bob on this in the second half of this episode because it's certainly part of his investment case for Nike. But th- this is a, a trend that we're, we're seeing not only with Nike but around the world with retailers as they 
I think, I don't even know. I'm pretty sure you're going to have to fact check me. We're going to need a Googler here, but I'm pretty sure you, you can't buy Nike on Amazon anymore. Uh, that's not something you can need to Google. You could just go on Amazon. <laughs> True. So let's do it live. I'm on Amazon. I've searched Nike. There's heaps of Nike stuff <laughs> on Amazon. <laughs> but maybe it's not uh, directly from Nike. Maybe it's from like third-party brands. But yeah, I'm looking at pages and pages of Nike stuff. Okay, so maybe you're right, Ren, but I definitely remember. Yeah, Nike cuts ties with Amazon. Nike cuts ties with Amazon back in 2019, early 2020. So maybe it's through other other distributors that are selling this yeah, on Nike. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Nike themselves have cut ties with, with Amazon as being a distribution outlet. Sure. Yeah. The first place that Nike sees its future is direct-to-consumer. The second place, which we're not really going to talk about, is they dabbled in the metaverse last year. Do you remember that? Yeah. They bought that company, um, Artifact. Yes. Yeah. And made shoes. Wonder what that, How's if that they've going? marked that investment down. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I guess the third thing that Nike is sort of sees itself or the, the wave that it's trying to ride and it has been riding for maybe a decade or so is that shift from sportswear to fashion. Yeah. People wear Nike clothes a lot more than just exercising these days. Yeah. So they've apparently last week they launched a, a new platform called Dot Swoosh that gives customers a leading edge user experience via Web3 platform. Oh. <laughs> the new initiative targets brand loyalists after the company's acquisition of design studio Artifact, which specializes in creating digital artifacts and converging the latest gaming tech in making collectibles in December 2021. So it looks like they're still playing in that space and I'm sure uh, we can pick uh, Bob's brains on that. But uh, yeah, interesting to see that they're, they're doubling down in some way. But let's turn to the numbers, Ren, because we started this episode saying that, uh, you know, market cap of $177 billion, do the numbers reflect a growth company? Do the, do the revenue numbers reflect a growth company? Does the change in revenue year on year reflect? So where are we at? So let's start with market cap, $166 billion. That's down about a third year to date. They've been sold off meaningfully in this market sell-off. Even with that sell-off, they're still up 77% in the past five years. And to just sort of talk about how that's happened, they were up 200% to November 2021. Growth company numbers. Down 50% from November 2021 to September 2022. Growth company numbers. <laughs> and then up 30% in a month or two months. That's growth company. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, you could say they're building a interactive Web3 platform for creators. Paying growth off. Company. Growth company. <laughs> growth company rhetoric. <laughs> so market cap at $166 billion, Revenue uh, at $46.7 billion. Five years ago, their revenue was $34.4 billion. Yes. Up 36% in the past five years. It is remarkably consistent for a company this big. Uh, the past five years, this isn't compound annual growth rate. This is just year on year. Yeah. Up 6%, up 7.5%, down 4.4% COVID year. No surprise. Up 19.1%. As everyone went out to buy exercise gear to get back on. Could True. be. True. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> and then up 4.9%. 
Yeah, so churning out some pretty safe numbers. Yeah, that, yeah. Th- those don't strike me as growth company no, numbers. No, no. So tickling growth company for market cap, but um, not quite the the afterpay revenue numbers that you're seeing. It's like any company that says they're a growth company aren't a growth company. You know, it's like any company, that's, any person that says they're cool isn't cool. Yeah. <laughs> any person that says they're a good driver isn't, isn't a, a good, good driver. driver. Yeah. Any um, company that says they're a growth company <laughs> isn't a growth company. But what about profit? They're profitable. Nice. So not like a growth company. Yeah, true. <laughs> nah, so six billion in profit. Five years ago, four and a bit, four and a quarter billion in profit. So up 43% in the past five years. So just to round it out then, Ren, it's been sold off, but they're generating pretty consistent revenue over the last five years, you know, averaging what feels like about 5% or thereabouts, 6%, and profit up 43% in the last five years. Numbers that you would expect to see from a company with 166 billion market cap feels like it's it's pretty safe. Yeah, yeah. So I guess, you know, the the question is if they execute on this direct-to-consumer strategy, if they can improve their gross margin as a result, what happens to that profit number? It's growing faster than their revenue number already, 36% over the past five years for revenue, 43% over the past five years for profit. Mm. So that's good to see. The question is if they can take that $5 billion of $12 billion of direct-to-consumer and make it, Eight of twelve, mm, mm. Um, then that profit number should grow faster than the revenue number, yep. and that was really the basis of Bob's thesis at the Hearts and Minds conference. Yeah. Before we get to him, the question we've been asking every time: Bryce Lesky, ethical or unethical Nike? Oof. <laughs> Is does this fit your ESG screen? Oh. The loosest ESG screen going around. <laughs> Uh, it, it is a pretty loose ESG screen. This Nike does fit my ESG screen. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's, you said it was loose. It's very loose. That's because I'm more of a negative screener than a positive screener and this doesn't fit in my negative screen as much as oil, weapons, major tobacco. So sweatshops are sweet. No, sweatshops are not sweet. And I know that, look, I know ESG has been a problem that has surrounded a number of companies that we're speaking about in the summer series. And Nike is hands down one of them. Uh, sweatshops, fast fashion, like, you know, there's a lot a lot surrounding, surrounding Nike, but the way that I approach ESG is not quite as hard line as some other people. I recognize it has challenges, but um, they are, I guess, publicly trying to do, address many of them. So for me, it does. What about you? <sighs> Nike is so hard. It is, yeah. I think a lot of people wouldn't have Nike in their screens. You mentioned uh, some of the, the labor issues there, fast fashion. Uh, there's challenges with the amount of like resource use and stuff like that and environmental record. And then on the other side, you also have Christian groups boycotting Nike because they released those little uh, little Nas X shoes with the drop of blood in them. Do you remember them? <laughs> <laughs> there was controversy with them around the Tokyo Olympics because of the shoes that they were making. That, that Anyway, there's heaps of stuff. Um, there's stuff with their record in China and um, the NBA. Anyway, there's a... There's been issues. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess my point is... Whatever your political views or your uh, views on different issues, there's probably a way that Nike's pissed you off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
But, but I also agree that Nike doesn't Nike for me doesn't register as high as companies that are like destroying the climate. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's leave it there then, Ren, and turn to uh, a brief look on industry and and some of the major competitors before we do get Bob in to uh, hear his investment thesis. Now, uh, massive industry, let's focus on the, the footwear and activewear. So in 2022, the global footwear market, and this was way bigger than I thought, to be honest, but $381.9 billion is the size of the global footwear market, expected to hit half a trillion by 2027. So they're going to put on an extra almost 100-odd billion in the next five years. Reasonable growth, reasonable, 20, 20 billion a year. And the active market, uh, active wear market, and this surprised me even even more, is $319 billion in 2022. So, so some massive markets that Nike is playing in. Uh, and to put it into context uh, against some of their major competitors, you said at the top of the show uh, of the 100 athletes, there are, there are sort of three players outside of Nike who are sponsoring and endorsing athletes. We said Adidas, we said Under Armour. Adidas is their closest in terms of uh, revenue, Adidas generated 21.23 billion euros in revenue in 2021. Puma, a fair way off the pace, 7.9 billion. And then Under Armour, 5.6 billion. So Under Armour splashing a bit of cash relative to their revenue. Uh, if they're, how many did they have? Eight in. Yeah, yeah, but it could have been towards the end of the list. True. true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 20,000 here and there. Yeah. (laughs) The the thing is, though, like if you're Under Armour and you're looking at Nike and Adidas, not so much Puma, you you could probably think you could take Puma. Um, (laughs) I think so as well. Surprising that. The whole Adidas and Puma story is fascinating, but we'll leave that for another day. Um, Two brothers on different sides of the river. If you're Under Armour, you have to spend. Yeah. You have to secure that first company. And just like Jordan made Nike, Under Armour need to find their their Jordan. Yeah. Like that's, that's how you cut through. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's also um, a number of Chinese brands that are trying to sign up, especially NBA stars, and give them shoe deals and stuff like that. Landing, like we haven't got their numbers in here, but it's a competitive space. So I guess the question is, can Nike hold it? Do Under Armour pivot and start sponsoring and endorsing video game athletes? No. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that's on brand for them. They need someone. You think they need someone? Here's a list of Under Armour athletes. Okay. Steph Curry, heard of him? Well played. Tom Brady. Heard of him? He's fast going out. He's fast. (laughs) He's fast going out of fashion. Jordan Speed. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Clayton Kershaw, pitcher, NBA. Okay. Didn't no. Know, don't know who he is. Pitcher, MLB. Okay. Yeah. They've got some guys. Cam Newton. So, he's <laughs> not so much there anymore. So they need to go bigger. I think the thing is it's Under Armour is still very American. Mm. Yeah. You, you don't really see them go global in the same way that mm. Nike have. Mm. Yeah. But it is a great story, great company. Well, Bryce, I think let's put a pin in it there. Let's throw to an ad break and then let's get Bob on because he's going to be able to help us really understand the investment case for Nike and also the, the bear case. How would you sum it up? I like doing this exercise where you take these massive companies that have been in existence for 50 plus years it's not surprising, but it's nice to unpack and understand how they, how they face 
the challenge of constant innovation to keep growing and understanding how these massive companies, you know, through through management, through technology, through changing business model, try and reinvent themselves sort of decade after decade. And it's just a nice reminder that you can still get, and I'm not saying by any stretch of the imagination, this is a buy, hold or sell, but you don't need to find those hidden gems when you do have some companies like this reinventing themselves. We're going to get to the investment case. <laughs> uh, the question was how you do you sum up the company? <laughs> uh, reinventing itself. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I misheard mis- the question. But <laughs> how, do you, how would you sum up the company? I, I, I would sum it up as um, a large company <laughs> reinventing <laughs> Uh, All right. Well, that's how I. That's how I. Well, that's how I summarize Nike, it. the biggest sportswear brand in the world, trying to cut out the middleman and sell directly to us. Let's go to Bob. <laughs> and before we jump to a break, a reminder: Nike is listed on the New York Stock Exchange. The ticker is NKE, and you can access the U.S. stock market plus the Australian and New Zealand markets on the Sharesies platform with no investment minimum. Sharesies is helping to create financial empowerment for everyone. Their vision is to give someone with five dollars the same investment opportunities as someone with $5 million. All investing involves risk. This is not a recommendation and you should perform your own research. Promo T's and C's apply. Now we're going to take a very quick break and we'll be right back to discuss Nike with Bob Desmond, head of Claremont Global. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project... There's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Delightful day here in vacation land. So, Ren, we're at that part of the episode where we are joined by an expert to help us chat through the investment case for Nike. And it is our pleasure to welcome Bob Desmond, head of Claremont Global. Bob, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. We want to start with uh, Nike as an investment. And we're really interested in this idea of what matters and what doesn't. Bryce and I have retail backgrounds. In retail, same store sales and sales per square meter, they're some of the metrics that retailers really watch. So when you're analyzing Nike, what are some of those metrics that you're looking at quite closely? I think the first one I'd start with with Nike is you just look consistently at the organic sales growth. It's actually very few consumer products companies that have delivered what they have. So if you look over time, over the last 22 years, take COVID out of it, one down year post the financial crisis, minus 2%. So consistent uh, earnings, uh, sales growth uh, over time. So it's amazing, uh, you know, what they've delivered over time. But for us, I think that if you want to d- drill it down to a number, you know, their marketing budget is $4 billion a year. So Nike is always going to outspend anyone else. 
And so they're probably spending about 50% more than, than Adidas. So we're not going to get into a bidding war. So, And that allows them to partner, you know, Michael Jordan, obviously the best thing that ever happened to Nike, but Tiger Woods, Serena Williams, even in Australia we had Warney, just amazing roster of, of athletes. So that marketing budget is, is crucial from the beginning just to really solidify that, that competitive advantage. And then also I think if you look at Nike, the, the key thing we are looking at now uh, is direct to consumer. How much of the business is sold you know, directly to consumers and how much is going through third-party channel? And that's that's been a huge shift and I can go into that now or we can go to later. It's up to you guys. Let, let's jump into it in a second. I just want to unpack a bit of jargon. You said organic sales and for someone with no retail background or anything like that, what, what does that actually translate to if you're looking at a balance sheet and I guess as opposed to non-organic sales. So it's just sales excluding acquisitions and currency movements. So a lot of companies can puff up their sales growth when actually they forgot the core business is actually struggling. And so the CEO says, well, core business is struggling, so let's go and do some acquisitions. Mm -hmm. And then very quickly you can get into trouble because what we want are businesses that have such a great core business and the CEO is just focusing on that and making it stronger and stronger and stronger and building deepening competitive advantage. Mm -hmm. Um, And you look, you know, over time, like Nike's return on invested capital, you know, it's it's around mid-20s and that's nearly all been organic. So this is a company that's consistently printing heaps of cash and then just keeps reinvesting. Well, who wouldn't want to reinvest back in the business when you're earning mid-20s returns on your capital? We do want to ask about one acquisition, um, Artifact, but let's put a pin in that and get to what really matters here, which is the transition that Nike's making from third-party channels to -to direct-to-consumer. So uh, we spoke about it briefly uh, before the break, but give us an overview of where they are in that transition and what you're watching to see if that transition is being successful. So, uh, you know, if you look back to 2015, it was around 20% direct to consumer and the bulk bulk of that was through their own stores. Today, we're sitting around 42%, slightly ahead of selling through their, their own apps and direct to consumer online and their own stores. They, By their estimates, by 2025, they're going to be over 60%. So the, the beauty for us then is now you think of those stores you, and, you know, with your background, you'd understand this. You go to those stores, third-party retailers who poorly designed stores, not curated very nicely, selling, you know, you've got some, some guys just trying to make a sales target, selling stuff on, on discount, not really knowledgeable about the product. Now, if you can sell that through your own store and have beautifully created stores, I don't know if you've been to some of the stores in London or New York. If you go to the one in, in London, if you're in London, go to the one at, uh, on Oxford Street. It's so cool. It's like five floors. Every floor there's a DJ uh, spinning <laughs> decks. Um, I mean, there's just such a buzz in the store. You know, it, just, it was packed when I went there. The, the salespeople are so knowledgeable, so passionate about the brand. You know, rather than some sleepy wholesaler in the burbs somewhere, mm. um, and then and then e- even more important now than the physical stores is the the online universe. So, I don't know if you're aware, but in the Nike app universe, there's over 300 million members now in that universe. Wow. So, if you think of of the data you're getting from that, so you know, every day people, not me, but other people, are pulling on their running shoes and looking at that Nike logo. Mm. But not only are they doing that, now they 
online, sharing that information with their friends, you know, how far have you run, all that stuff, and all boasting about how fit they are. And all that goes <laughs> online. And that for Nike is an incredible source of data. So now they know so much about you and then they can say, okay, now we can, you know, deliver you the right product, right place, right time, and they have all that data on you. So, you know, increasingly Nike is actually becoming just as important as their digital marketing and their technology edge. And just uh, before we move off from the third party to direct-to-consumer, give us an idea of the, the gross margin difference. Yeah, that's actually a very good point. So even so, in terms of the competitive advantage, so not only are we deepening the competitive advantage and effectively controlling the consumer and the point of sale, and the other thing as well is if you can control the distribution, much less of their goods are sold at discount, which is terrible for brands. Like you think of LVMH, they all burn stuff. They will burn stuff rather than sell at a discount because they control all their, their stores. You know, so Nike, you don't get these people discounting, discounting the brand, messing up the brand. So when they sell direct to consumer, they're making twice, twice the dollars yeah. than they do um, selling through a wholesaler. So you're making more money. You control the point of sale. You're getting all this data. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an incredible story. And it's still, we're at, what, 40% now, we think, over the next five, ten years, it'll get to 60 or 70% direct. Yeah, wow. Mm. So I've always said if, you, if you've got a brand strong enough to sit on someone's phone, because there's only roughly, they say, 40 apps that can sit on your phone. So that's just a really good indication. Not, not, Nike will be, every athlete will have that app on their phone. Mm. They'll be tracking their running. They'll be looking at the... It's, yeah. yeah. We were joking about that, that, um, you know, for a brand like Nike, they can really go hard with direct-to-consumer because their brand is so strong, strong and they're everywhere. Exactly. But, you know, if you're a third-tier yeah, clothing retailer, yeah, yeah. You, you'd struggle. New Balance is not going to make it. I don't <laughs> no. <know. laughs> Nothing well, against New Balance. Hey, I, I do own New Balance. New Balance. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm but I'm sure Adidas and Puma and Under Armour are all pursuing similar sort of strategies and looking at what not only Nike but many retailers yeah. around the world are doing. It's not like it's a new concept no, that sure. only Nike yeah. are doing. What other parts of the investment bull case, I guess, um, do you look at that adds to competitive advantage for Nike? It was the first thing I said, obviously, that, that no, no one's going to outspend them in terms of yeah. creating demand mm. so they can spend more than anyone else. Consistency. I think the innovation is key. So Nike, because they've got such a wide range of products, they, they have a lot of products that they can innovate around. Like Adidas got very, very reliant on Kanye West, which hasn't worked out so well for them <laughs> and the Yeezys. Um, you know, Stan Smith in the past was, a, you know, so they, they're much less reliant. They really focused on a couple of key franchises. So, for example, like in the last few years, and we have owned Adidas in the past and it didn't work. We didn't, weren't there very long. And basically what we saw happening is they were lack of innovation. They were losing share. They were cutting the marketing budget. You know, whilst Nike, it just it's you've just got a broader range of products and better innovation. So I think that's a that's a huge advantage. Just the stable they've got mm. and the scale that they've got, um, they can innovate, mm. and and so that that's a, a key one. And obviously the share losses and share gains. Um, so that that's that's crucial for us as well. Yeah, right. Well, I guess that then brings us to the the flip side, which is the bear case. So you know, we always like to understand if something goes wrong. What are you sort of most concerned about and, and the outcome of that? So if you are thinking about the bear case for Nike, what, what would that be? It's all those things I just mentioned, right? So cutting marketing budgets is a ter- terrible thing to see. Lack of innovation and new, new products coming through. I mean, Adidas is a bit of a mess at the moment. So 
Interestingly, Adidas, if you actually, I think the management story is quite interesting at Nike. I don't know if you know the management story. So the, have you read Shoe Dog? Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant book. Brilliant book, right? So, um, you know, Phil Knight is actually still on the board. I mean, he's, you know, he's Mm. getting getting on now, but he's been there since 1968. Mm. The executive chairman, Mark Parker, he's been there since 1979. And then the the CEO is a bit of a novice. He's only been there since 2000. But before that, he was running eBay, PayPal and ServiceNow. So he's got a bit of pedigree. Bit of a novice. He's been there 22 years. Yes. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, sorry, sorry. I got twenty twenty. Oh, twenty twenty. Twenty twenty. Sorry, sorry. But then, interestingly, on the board, you've got um, Tim Cook. So Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, he's been there since two thousand five. And and actually, if you look at the business models, they're very similar. So if you look at Nike, you know the cool products, innovate, rapid, whole heap of marketing dollars, create this hype around the product, design company. But at the back end, they outsource the production. So capex to sales is only two percent. So the capital intensive part, the commoditized capital intensive part has been outsourced exactly the same as Apple does. Yeah. So I think with, with that management team that they've got, I think you've, you've just got people who, who are just thinking longer term. So when you're looking at Adidas, Casper uh, Rostetter came, who had a very good pedigree and came from Henkel, but his mindset was more around getting margins up and then he started cutting marketing and more around efficiencies, I felt, whilst Nike is more around revenue competitive advantage driving growth um, and so those are the key things we, we kind of why we prefer it over that I mean obviously things that would be the bear case um, losing share cutting marketing budget more goods sold on discount lack of innovation those are all the things that would fl- and all the things that were flagged in Adidas and, and why we cut the position very quickly you did say a buzzword there that we were laughing about before um, uh, driving growth uh, the f- the front line the top line of Nike's investor relations website, Nike Inc is a growth company. <laughs> they it's want original. you to know it's a growth company. It's <laughs> yeah. I'm laser focused. And, and <laughs> I we'll, can do we'll, that one too. If we you get want. a bit cynical, you know, any company that says they're a growth company yeah. can't be a growth company. Well, either. I can tell you, Nike's. If you look over, you know, like yeah. I was <laughs> mentioning that sales growth, even over the last decade, I think they've been twelve percent. Even in the last quarter, they did 10% organic sales growth. So and they, they're going to be at that high single-digit organic growth into double digits consistently. Yeah, it is unbelievable. And we were looking at some for market forecasts because you look at a company like Nike, you know, it's come off about a third this year, but it's still what $160 billion market cap. And you wonder how big it can be. But the forecast for the apparel market and the footwear market, just gonna they just keep growing at like meaningful sizes. Yeah, no, it's it's and they've also got pricing power. So they're always taking a little bit of price as, as well. So you've got that. I mean, is, I, I don't think there's a consumer goods company that has delivered what what they have over time. And I think if I look at Nike in, in five or ten years, it's gonna look probably like LVMH did ten years ago. It's a different different kind of but the numbers. Yeah. So LVMH used to be a sort of eighteen percent margin business and that's where, you know, we want Nike to get into the high teens because you you're now controlling distribution, you're now controlling pricing, you're now controlling discounting, you know, and, and you're getting those those EBIT dollars that, that you're giving away before. It might be easier to, to get 18% margin with a Louis Vuitton handbag than <laughs> with a, you know, a Nike shirt. Uh, they, yeah, they have to spend a lot of money, Louis Vuitton. Yeah, true, yeah, true. Yeah. Really. So if you look at the GMs, uh, Louis Vuitton's is, is, is higher than, than Nike, I think, if I, I might have this wrong. But if I remember from memory, I think Louis Vuitton is in the 65 area and I think uh, Nike's in the high 40s. Yeah, mm. okay. But then so, they don't have to spend in terms of dollars as much as Louis Vuitton. Do. Yeah. And, 
yeah. and they, you can't, they're not like for life. No, no, I'm no. just talking about in terms of financial characteristics. Yeah. You know, we want margins now 11%, but they're very depressed at the moment because we've had you know, a huge amount of freight costs. There's probably 300 basis points of freight costs. Those are going to fall away. Um, and then we've had discounting because there's excessive inventory in the channel because supply chains were so bad. Mm-hmm. So that's going to fall away. So the margins are probably understated by about three or 400 basis points at the moment as we stand. Yeah, wow. So those will normalise. And then every year you've got this tailwind of probably 100 basis points of margin uplift just from the shift to direct-to-consumer. So one thing with Nike is that they're seeing some pretty good competitors come to market so lululemon is an incredible story in its own right under armor quite u.s focused but building a meaningful business and over in china we've heard a little bit about uh leaning mm-hmm. is it mm-hmm. yeah yep, yep. how do you think about those competitors um obviously nike's still outspending them all when it comes to marketing and has the majority of athletes signed but yeah how do you think about some of those competitors coming through my experience with some of those brands is they blow hot and cold Okay. You know, things come to market, they're hot for a couple of years and then they, they fall away. And then you get the next hot thing for a couple of years. It's, it's a bit like in fast food, like Macca's is just the anchor in that space. And then you get various fast food brands, they come and they go. And my experience in that space over time, you, you're best off going with the, the number one. Because at the end of the day, the advantage of, of scale and marketing is, is always going to give them that, that anchor hold on the market. And sure, there are people that can pick off at the edges, but for them to sustain their competitive advantage, they have to be so good on their marketing and they miss one product or one, you know, I mean, even Adidas, good example. I mean, they, them and Nike dominate that thing. But you make one slight misstep um, and you, you, can be, you, you can be blown off quite mm. quickly. So... Mm. Over time, generally, those, you're always better off going with the number one. Yeah. So, Bob, before we just uh, close out with sort of view on long-term plans, you did pitch this as part of your sown hearts and minds uh, at pitch at the, the conference in November 2022. And uh, that's a pitch that is designed, I guess, for a 12-month mm-hmm. time horizon. Yep. Very th- hard thing to do. May Very I, hard. May I, I do not advise you. <laughs> did not, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Now, um, it's very clear sort of the long-term investment thesis here, but are there any short-term catalysts that you expect to happen over the 12 months or is it just that you're pitching this and you expect to see Nike not only this year but over the next five perform? So for us, everything's long-term always. We always think on a five-year basis. So it's very simple. We go, what's the business earning in five years? What do we think the multiple will be? And then we net present value to today. Yeah. And then what's what's the differential there? Compliance, I'm not allowed to say what it is, <laughs> but the gap's big enough for us to say there's a decent margin of, of safety. You know, your viewers can do it their own way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we use a discount rate of 8%. And that's how we work out what we think a business is worth. And so 12 months is not kind of how we think. But I think in the next 12 months, I think you're going to see a couple of things. You, we know supply chains are healing. So the cost of freight is falling. Um, so that supply chains will heal and that will come through their numbers over the, Suddenly I think people are going to realise, you know, this is, these are depressed. They're not going to be selling heaps of inventory on discount because, that you know, everyone was double ordering. Mm. And so they've mm. been trying to normalise those channels. So those two things will fall away. Um, and I think they'll be taking share from Adidas. I mean, all the Adidas looks like the CEO they've got in will probably is, is better than the last one, I think. But they're going to have to get the act together. So I think over, we're going to see good organic sales growth. You're going to see the margin recovery. And then some people are going to start going, hold on, these earnings are actually quite understated. Because when we look at it, we go, this is, I mean, I think reported margin markets, estimated margin in 2023 is around 11 if you actually make some of those adjustments, it could easily be 15. So the earnings are actually quite understated. Mm. And then once you get through five years' time, 
you know, I think you'll see that competitive advantage coming coming through and people will go, actually... I mean, it's a type of business you look at and you go, I, I can just let it compound over yeah. time. It yeah. prints heaps of cash. It's yeah. reinvesting at mid-20s. It's got long-term growth drivers. It's got terrific management. Um, it's, it has been cheaper, to be honest. So earlier this year, it was super cheap. I think mm. the stock had halved from its highs. Mm. I think it's up. It's really annoying because when we thought of <laughs> doing Nike and by the time the conference <laughs> came <pitch>. along, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. the stock had moved about 15%. So that was a bit irritating. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, I think a lot of lot of the other presenters had that as well, to be yeah. fair. Mm. Um, so that's that's kind of how we, we look at it. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Didn't... Um, didn't Adidas get the XC of Puma. Uh, yes, which yep, is interesting. Just yep, given the yep. relationship those two companies yeah, yeah, have, it's yeah, just yeah, sharing people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, well, uh, Bob, we want to say a massive thank you for taking the time. We want to close out by looking long term. Um, you know, we've spoken about how Nike prints cash, reinvests it. You want to see it compound over time. If management are successful, what will it compound into in? 10, 20 years? If we, it all works according to plan, 10, 10 years, I'd like to see 60 or 70% sold direct to consumer, margins in the high teens up to 20%. That, those are the, probably the two key, key numbers. And if, if that happens, then I'll be, I'll be very happy. So one thing you didn't say there was a Web3 enabled community. Uh, yeah. what, do you, what do you reckon yeah. about, uh, what was it, dot .swoosh? Dot, dot, dot .swoosh? swoosh? Yeah, and then some... Artifact, the thing that they bought last year, the NFT sneakers, the do they factor yeah. into your business no. case at all? No. <laughs> Fair enough. NFT. <laughs> You're not worried about a Zuckerberg pivot? Oh no! <laughs> the current. I think he's got his hands full with the current pivot at the. You mean Zuckerberg? Well, does, does Nike try? No, no, no. And start. Nike is. They've occasionally done a few things, and every time, like they bought, com, com, you know, every time Converse, they've sort of yeah. just sort of drifted a little bit away. They just go. You know what we've got is actually way better than anything else yeah, that's out yeah. there, and they just come back to the to the core the business. Core. So they've sort mm. of done a bit of pivoting, but I think if if they went off and did some really. Big shift in strategy, we would sit back and go, whoa, yeah, what, yeah. what's going on there? And we would probably, that would be enough for us to say, I mean, you know, like when you saw Facebook suddenly pivot, yeah, change yeah, the yeah. name, yeah. it was like, whoa, what's going on here? Yeah, you'd just be stoked if you were the guys that were making digital sneakers and then Nike come knocking on your door. It's like, great, yeah, you can acquire us. <laughs> so, yeah, that wasn't, wasn't, wasn't a big part of the thesis no. for us, I've got to be honest. <laughs> Well, that does uh, bring us to the end of our episode. A reminder that uh, whilst we are licensed, everything that you heard today is general advice only and uh, you should seek uh, professional advice. All information on this show is for education and entertainment purposes only. And also a massive thanks to Sharesies for supporting this episode. Uh, For more info on them, head to sharesies.com.au. But Bob, it's been an absolute pleasure. I've thoroughly enjoyed understanding uh, a bit more about Nike, the investment case, both good and bad. So so, uh, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Bryce. Thanks, Ren. Pleasure yeah. being on. You have been listening to an Equity Mates Media production. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equity Mates Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea, and community. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. This podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs or objectives. Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have positions in the companies mentioned. 
Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services Licence 540697.